0: You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Hey, as they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. Back on The Pipeline Show, and we're continuing on with our theme this month, talking with ladies who are working in and around hockey, and we'll get to that in a second, but it is an NCAA Campus Report segment. Those are always brought to you by College Hockey, Inc. If you're a player or you have a player in your family and they are looking to explore all of their options, you need to know what you can and what you can't do to maintain your college eligibility, and College Hockey Inc. is a great resource for that. You can get in touch with Mike Snee or Nate Ewell, and they can steer you in the right direction as well. My guest today is Paula Weston from USCHO. Paula, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. It's been a while.
1: It has, thanks. It's good to hear from you.
0: It is, and uh, it's good to catch up with you as well. And exciting times, playoffs right around the corner. Of oh. course, you cover oh, yeah. the you cover the Big Ten for USCHO, and uh, right down to the wire, got some great races right now. It's crazy. I
1: mean, I knew it would be interesting this season because, you know, there's only seven teams in the league in spite of its name. And and each team has specific strengths that it can play to. Um, And I hate the word parody that's bandied about uh, uh, college athletics so much, but it absolutely is true. You know, there's a lot of parody in the Big Ten this year. So we knew it would be weird and crazy. But, boy, it's crazy.
0: (laughs) Well, final weekend uh, this weekend, right, of the regular season, and then we get into playoffs, and every team in the conference gets in, but the top team gets that bye uh, through the first round. Right now, that's Penn State, but they're the only team not playing this weekend, so everybody else has a an opportunity to to catch them. Well, Ohio State and the uh, Minnesota Golden Gophers can catch them. Uh, what do you foresee with this weekend? I don't
1: know, boy. You know, and and I really, I know, I know. Hey, I'm the expert on this, right? I mean, that's the weird thing. Like, it's it's okay. So Penn State has 41 points. Ohio State and Minnesota are tied with 37 points in second place. Each game is worth six points, so the weekend's worth or three points, so the weekend's worth six, right? So uh, Ohio State plays last place, Wisconsin. There is no easy anything in the Big Ten, so there's no guarantee that the Buckeyes will actually take those six points. They put themselves in a really good position last week, though, by playing and sweeping Michigan State, a team that has been playing really, really well in the second half. So that gives me some idea that maybe Ohio State is healthy, that they are focused. They have a very veteran team. And so, uh, and a team that's been to the Frozen Four, and so I think the juniors and seniors. And so, uh, you know, they've got a team that is focused and understands how to win and be successful, and that can be a big advantage in college hockey, obviously. So perhaps they're a team that can take advantage of this and get the five points that they need to overtake Penn State, right? Which would be, you know, uh um a win and a, and a tie with a, the extra point um, from, the, from either a shootout or from the three on three, so that's a possibility. And then you have Minnesota, that is young, was I think the second hottest team in the Big Ten until last weekend, when they went to Penn State, and Penn State took five of six possible points from them. So Penn State's another veteran team, right? And mm-hmm. so they also have incredible playoff experience—not Frozen Four experience, but playoff experience—and so they knew what was at stake and they did what they needed to do, stopping a really young team in its tracks. Um that I I don't know what that means for this weekend though, because you've got youthful enthusiasm and I think Minnesota is the fastest team that I've seen play this season. So you've got that going. Um they could possibly get five points out of this weekend as well and surpass uh Penn State. And if it winds up in a tie, if it's like a three way tie between Penn State Ohio State and Minnesota, which is a possibility, mm-hmm. um, then Penn State has a tiebreaker. If it's a tie between Penn State and Ohio State, Penn State has a tiebreaker. If it's a, if it's, they've got all the tiebreakers. So okay. that's, you know, that's that. So, um, Minnesota or Ohio State would have to, um, overtake them. And if Minnesota and Ohio State tie, Ohio State has a tiebreaker, the first tiebreaker. So, um. It, it's. It depends on what happens. Ohio State has really sort of struggled on and off with consistency this season. I know they've had some injuries, and that's been part of the problem. So they haven't had a full complement of players, and so uh, and they've also kind of struggled in goal in places that they didn't. You know, it's a place that they didn't think they were going to struggle for a little bit, and and I don't know if this means that they have come into their own at exactly the right time after what they did against a very good Michigan State team last weekend, or not. And then Minnesota struggled and then came on in the second half with confidence. But after last weekend, I don't know how a young team is going to respond. And I know that this, that Guy Gadowski is going to be watching every possible game that he can this weekend <laughs> to see where Penn State winds up, right? Yeah. And they're also going to be looking back at the season and sort of regretting a few things. I mean, they had, all season long, uh, Gadowski talked about how the team was struggling with an identity crisis. You know, they averaged more than five goals or about five goals a game last season. And he prides himself on a really offensive team. that's really fast up and down the ice. And, and they, they got shut out a few times this year. And that really, I think threw them and, and they had several games where they scored tons of goals. They're still scoring over four goals a game, I think, um, or close to it. But, uh, and a lot of players, a lot of coaches would love to have that problem. But, uh, they really are They really are struggling. And I know that if they don't capture the regular season title, they're going to look back at a couple of weekends and go, man, why couldn't we have done what we did against Minnesota that weekend?
0: Well, you know? I see Penn State scores more than anybody else in the conference and by a mm-hmm. significant margin, but only Wisconsin has allowed more goals as well. So Penn right? State <laughs> scoring five goals a game, it seems like, but they exactly. have to.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's, that's sort of been... For as long as I've known Gaigalavskis, that's sort of been his MO, like all the way back to when I knew him when I covered the CCHA and he was at Alaska Fairbanks. And he plays a very passionate. He wants his team to play a very passionate, up and down the ice, transitional, fast offensive game, and and to have you know to be able to score just one more goal than you allow still gets you to win, right? Yeah. And so. And that's and that's how he's always been. That's the style of hockey he plays. And it's really worked for him. But this season, when that offense has dropped off just a little bit, it's been enough for concern for him. So yeah, they allow a lot of goals. They do. In spite of the fact that Dayton Jones is having a really good season.
0: It doesn't surprise me when you say that about Guy Gadowski. He's an Edmonton guy who grew up here in the '80s <laughs> exactly. in the glory days of the Oilers, and that they were all running right? gun. Um, you know, you
1: you've, you've got to look though. Look, go to if you haven't gone to Hockey DB and looked at his his or anywhere else online and looked at his player profile shot, uh-huh. and it's it's, it's missing a front tooth. It's yeah. the perfect Godowski photo.
0: Paula Weston from USCHO is my guest here on the Pipeline Show. We're looking at the Big Ten. Uh, now, a, a couple of players I wanted to ask about in particular, and uh, we'll start with uh, Cole Caulfield in Wisconsin because mm. there was so much mm-hmm. attention uh, heaped on him early in the season. Yep. How would you describe his season? Because he's got 34 points in 32 games, 19 of which are goals. Yep. That's amazing. Yeah. But for me, yeah. oh. he's been really inconsistent, though. There's long stretches where he, yeah. there's no production.
1: He's young. I mean, and I think the transition for him from – from college or from uh, uh, the uh, developmental program to college was challenging for him. Um, He's also not getting a lot of support on that team from uh, a deep offense. I think that's been one of Wisconsin's problems. And so, uh, and I'm not faulting Wisconsin or the coaching staff for that. I just think that's kind of the way it's worked this season. So, I mean, he's young and, and I don't know the kid at all. So I don't know if he's believed his own hype. I've heard he's a nice kid. I don't know. Right. I mean, he probably is. But I don't know, you know, what's in his head. I just, it looks to me like a very typical rookie season for a really talented young man in, in, at a college level. So it, and I don't know, too, then if that means that because he hasn't, because he's shown some inconsistency that he's going to be told to stay put for another year, mm. you know, or, or because Wisconsin isn't doing well, I don't know if he's going to be told, you know, leave. I don't know how that's going to work out for him. But he's a threat every time he's on the ice. But you're right in consistency. And I, I, you know, having watched him a little bit this season, I think he sometimes maybe goes for the cute play that he shouldn't go for, or maybe second guesses himself in 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 terms of when to pass or when to shoot. Hmm. And I think that. And I think that's a young player's issue, an inexperienced player's issue. Okay. He's awfully good, though.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, there's lots of talent there, that's for sure. Struggled at the World Junior Championship, though, as well. And I just wondered if that was just kind of a microcosm of what his season was like uh, at Wisconsin. I
1: think he'll he'll get past it at some point with development. I do, but not this year. Uh,
0: Paula, who else has stood out for you when it comes to individual uh, efforts this year? I I know we're talking about seven teams, and there's probably six or seven guys on each team. But are there three or four guys in particular?
1: Um, I like Patrick uh performance at Michigan State this year. Right. He was on that line with Taro Hirose last year. That uh, you know, and is the moment he left Michigan State, went to Detroit and played. You know, and got like a, an assist in whatever eight. You know, seven out of the eight games that he played at the end of the last season. And he's been up and down with Detroit this year. He's he's going to be a, a real talent, I think, at some point. And I'm sure that all Detroit Red Wings fans are looking for that at some point too. But he was on that line, and there was some speculation. About whether or not um, that was, you know, the success of the other two players on that line, you know, yeah. Mitchell Lewandowski and Patrick Kotorenko But Kotorenko has really stepped up this season and and gained some confidence and 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 has impressed me with how well he's developed. Um, I I'm I have been impressed with goaltending this season, and and I know that goaltender is a really easy. Sort of position to watch, but goaltending in the Big Ten hasn't been very good in recent years. So I've been impressed with John Letheman at uh, Michigan State. He has had, he struggled, I think, in the last few weeks, but but he has had a career season going from, you know, save percentages that were at 900 ish to 920, 30, 40 ish. I mean, just incredible. And um, Strauss Mann, also at Michigan, has come along. That surprised me. Um, I, I, I am, am I'm very impressed with that. And I'm, I'm impressed with um, Johnny Beecher and Cam York at Michigan as well. Uh, They're uh, Cam is a defenseman. Johnny's a, a forward and they I'm very impressed with their development this season as well. Um, I, I have been, you know, impressed in an, in a, in an opposite way. And I hate to say this about Kale Morris at, at Notre Dame and that he sort of lost his confidence in that, you know, he won the, the Mike Richter award a couple of years ago and, and that was a big surprise for me that that he was struggling and the offense in front of him was struggling. Notre Dame is not always, you know, an offensive team. Mm-hmm. Uh, although uh, Jeff Jackson, their coach sort of bristles at that, I think a little bit and rightly so. He wants them to score goals They're so just sort of a more careful, tight defensive team. And when he wasn't getting the goal support early in the season, he really struggled, but Notre Dame has looked very good in the last few weeks too. So he might be a story to look at as the season emerges and then, and then, or the season ends, and then Peyton Jones at, at Penn State, I think, has had as solid a season as you can have in goal, and and perhaps not get any. Well, in spite of the goals, again, you know, the goals against, it, but his save percentage is really good, and he keeps them in games because they turn over a lot in front of him. I mean, that's part of their game is that transition, and then the confidence to have somebody back there to stop things. So he gets hung out a lot, and uh, and I think he's been pretty solid as well. And I know, like I said, it's easy to focus on the goaltending, but because that's such a, a a focal position. But this season, especially, I've seen some really good goal coming from, from the Big Ten, and that's a nice surprise.
0: Paula Weston from USCHO, my guest, uh, and getting ready for some, uh, well, the final weekend in the Big Ten yeah. uh, before the playoffs, and that's always exciting. But Paula, you've been a guest of mine on the Pipeline Show. Well, we go back. Probably I don't know ten years that you've been coming on the show to this point. Maybe the whole pants party uh, joke that we were right there for a while. (laughs) For a while, Uh, but uh, I wanted to talk to you uh, about uh, being a woman in this uh, this atmosphere, in the the hockey atmosphere, which is still fairly male dominated, isn't it? And I I just wondered what brought you to the sport. I'm assuming you've always been a hockey fan, but um, how you kind of got involved covering it.
1: I like how you say fairly male-dominated. Let's just get rid of the fairly. Yep. <laughs> it's completely male-dominated. It still is. I mean, um, I, I don't know how that is necessarily in Canada, but it certainly is here in the States. Uh, uh, sports media in general tends to be overwhelmingly male-dominated. And I remember the first Frozen Four that I went to um, back in 1995, and then in '96 I went to Milwaukee, um, and I've been to everyone since. I've been very lucky. Uh, and I remember looking on the, around the room and seeing only, like, one other woman reporter And this is a couple of decades ago, obviously, and and things weren't as sophisticated um, digitally as they are now, technologically. So you didn't have a lot of digital photographers. You didn't have a lot of uh, digital camera people and sound people in the big press room that you do now. And there are more women working behind the scenes. And then a few years later, I was really encouraged to see more women writers. But it's still – it's dropped off. I mean, every time I go to the Frozen Four, I'm really – actually kind of surprised when I run into more than just a couple of other women. And I'm always surprised if I, if I find a new woman writer, even a student woman, you know, like a woman who's writing for a student newspaper, student woman, that's a good phrase. Um, and, uh, You're a yeah, that's, Paula. Uh, that's right. I have degrees in words and sentences. Who knew? And, um, but it's, it's, it hurts. You know, it's, I can't speak for what it's like in other sports because I've not covered anything else. Um, brief. I had a, a nice couple of week brief stint where I filled in for somebody covering Big Ten baseball once, and that was kind of fun. Um, but I, it's it can be a really oppressive kind of thing, and, and I don't think that younger women are going to speak to this or speak about this very much. But I don't have any problem talking about that anymore. Um, it, you get ignored for your work. You get you know you you get uh, looked over an awful lot. Um, and, and it, it can be really frustrating. And I'm watching younger women who are, you know, women who are 20 years younger than I am. And then this new generation of women writers just get murdered online. Yeah. And, and, and the social media is such a platform now that is necessary to get your word out. It's especially expected on Twitter. And I just watch these young women get eviscerated. And it reminds me of my early days when I would get horrible emails from people calling me awful sexist things. And uh, that's, you know, it, it So that atmosphere is not necessarily the best, and I don't know what, you know, I don't know how that's ever going to change it. That having been said, covering college hockey, I have met some of the best people that I've ever known in my whole life. And when I'm in that press room, when I'm at a game, I never experience any of that, you know. So that's a very different kind of atmosphere. I think it's what's kept me in for so long, as you know. The NCAA family is a very small thing. I mean, when people come to their first Frozen Four as a media person, I think they're kind of surprised. It's just a you've got coaches and scouts and players and and former players and and media people and and people who have known each other for years. And so it feels very family-like and a very supportive atmosphere in that way. Um, So that has been very rewarding without question. I've met great people because of college hockey and fantastic fans and, and the coaches, every coach in my league is wonderful. And and in fact, I can't even, I can't point to a coach who's ever been a jerk to me for any reason. Well, you know, (laughs) unless I, unless I wrote something about his team that he didn't like, but I mean, it wasn't because, you know, I'm a woman in sports. It was because I wrote something about his team that he didn't like. And I've had a few of those conversations, Sure, (laughs) but you know, but it's and I got into it. Um to answer that part of the question, um I've always been a hockey fan. My mom is a huge hockey fan and um she's from eastern Pennsylvania and was a huge fan of the Hershey Bears back in the day, and that's how she got into it and and um and then the Bruins. My dad's from from New England, so he was a huge Bruins fan. And um, I've always loved the sport and I had it's a very odd little story. I was a graduate student at Ohio State Teaching uh, an early American literature class of all things, and I, th- I had three Ohio State hockey players in the class. And this was back in the early '90s, and the team was terrible. I mean, awful. I don't know if they had three wins that season, and the players were great. They were wonderful kids, and they were the, the entire class was a really supportive group of people. And you know, you had a young woman in class who was in theater, so like 20 people went to her play and then and people started going to the hockey games and, and this one kid was unable, he was academically ineligible to play and so a bunch of people started going to practice to support him and, and um, at the end of that season, the captain of the team gave me the name of an editor of a small newspaper in Michigan and said, here, I think you ought to write about this mm. and I contacted him and covered that first season that 195, I think it was, I covered Ohio State, Bowling Green, and Miami um, for this tiny newspaper in Michigan. And then I got picked up by U.S. College Hockey Online the next year, and that's when I've been doing it ever since.
0: And as you said, for the most part, your experiences with players and with coaches have been overwhelmingly yeah. positive. Oh, yeah. So when, it's, oh, yeah. when there's been negative stuff, it's from readership? Oh, God,
1: yeah. Oh, God, oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Come on, they're sports fans. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> of course. I mean, I scream at the television sometimes when <laughs> I don't like what somebody says. Right. Um, you add, you know, you got you know you you get this there's this, this cultural thing where people are, and again, I'm I'm speaking from an an American point of view that that, that, that it's expected that men are supposed to be announcers, for example, Mm -hmm. you know, that and so that the male voice is somehow the more authentic voice. And that's not, it's not a, an unusual thing. I mean, it permeates every bit of culture in the United States. And so, yeah, of course, I mean, I write favorably about 18 and, uh, in the early days, anyway, I would get horrible emails from people, and and, and I get trashed on message boards and things like that, and and, and not unusual. And, and and of course, if you're a woman, you're picked apart for everything—not only just how you write, but but what you look like, and and I mean, I mean, everything. There's just no the standards. The double standards are incredible to me in media, and and I I don't know. I just I. It's just been a very interesting ride in that regard. I have, like I said, I've really enjoyed it and I love connecting with an audience and I love the immediacy of the time in which I'm writing. That this whole job came about, you know, when the internet was blooming right. and USCHO. I'm so proud of being associated with USCHO. I mean, we were the first dot com that the NCAA gave cre- press c- credentials to, uh, the first dot com that didn't have a print affiliate. Because that was a big concern at the beginning. Sure. And, um, you know, we've helped, I think we've helped shape, I know we've helped shape the discourse of college hockey and, and, and hockey in general. And, and, and the way it's written about, and, and, and it sounds really silly and geeky, but the way things are formatted when you write about hockey, we've shaped that. You know, and it sounds really, we noticed things like that in the early, you know, going like, oh, everybody's using this abbreviation or doing this or, and and, and we had a big hand in that and a big hand, I think, in popularizing college hockey and, and I'm incredibly proud of it.
0: Well, and you're one of the reasons that we uh, still like to talk about college hockey here on this show and uh, you've helped educate Thanks. me uh, about uh, college hockey, the ins and outs, and uh, I really appreciate you making the time this week and uh, every time that you've been on the show, and I look forward to talking to you again, Paula. Oh,
1: I really appreciate that too. I love, I love uh, talking to uh, all of my Canadian friends about college hockey as opposed to major juniors. But you know, that's a <laughs> time, that's a story for another time.
0: Well, next time. All right. Thanks for this, Paula.
1: <laughs> thanks a lot. I appreciate it.
0: Paula Weston, so good. Such a great. Great guest to have on the show. Always a wealth of information. She does a fantastic job uh, and wonderful to, to to catch up with her once again. She was one of the first college uh, hockey guests that we had uh, on the program. And the whole pants party thing, it was based off the uh, the clip that's seen in uh, Anchorman where Brick Tamlin, who is slow, <laughs> asks uh, Veronica Corningstone, he would like to extend uh, uh, an invitation to the pants, to the party, to the pants, to the party in the pants. Yeah, that's where that all came from. She rolled with it. It was an intro, part of an intro that we had coming back from break uh, back then. And uh, Paula just rolled with it. And it was funny. It was hilarious. That was kind of a running gag uh, for a a year or so that we had her on the show uh, way back then. Interesting times in the Big Ten. Lots to be decided uh, this weekend. And then the playoffs kicking off uh, right away. And it's really, it's a a pick-em almost to come out of that conference. So we'll see how it all plays out here over the next uh, week or two or three. Uh, And then the national championship uh, starts, gets going here, well, I guess about a month from now. All right, up next on the Pipeline Show, we're going to have back-to-back 2020 draft spotlight segments. Uh, The first guy, I've been trying to get him for about a month, finally had to go through his agency to secure the player. Wasn't having a whole lot of success uh, with his club team. Uh, But Connor McLennan of the uh, Winnipeg Ice also represented at Canada at the Holinka uh, Gretzky Cup this past summer and at the U-17s when he was that age. But he's been injured for a while. We'll get an update on that. We'll talk about his season in Winnipeg. That's all next with Connor McLennan of the Winnipeg Ice here on the Pipeline Show. Now near side whites, Far side Krebs. Wrist shot. Scores!
1: Peyton Krebs a wrist shot from the far side and gets by Bailey Birkin. Hey, Peyton Krebs from the Kootenai Ice, and this is the Pipeline Show.
0: What's going on? It's a computer network, sir. Our system is crashed and our website needs upgrading. We can't take much more of this. Fascinating. Logic would dictate. We don't have time for your logic. What what should we do? I'm a doctor, not an IT expert. Call DLM. DLM Consulting does it all. Networking, video conferencing, website design, custom application development, and tech support. DLM Consulting, reliable, affordable IT peace of mind. Online at dlm.ca or call Kevin at 960-7311.